I want to take this opportunity to welcome you again to the services. Certainly it is our hope and prayer that you are comfortable and that you've enjoyed the opportunity we've had this evening to worship and sing songs of praise to our God in heaven. Throughout this week, we've talked about some topics that can be very challenging and can cause us to think about things that cause us a lot of distress in life. And I want you to understand that if you have questions about anything that we have talked about or uh, would like more information or time to visit and study with myself or any of the leaders of this congregation, that's, that's why we do these kind of meetings is to try to make sure that we're helping people who may be moved or have questions about some of the things that we present and that we study. And uh, tonight's lesson is going to be no different. I know Tuesday night we talked about depression and we talked about the realities of life and some of the difficulties that we face and how sometimes those can take over our minds and our lives and take us to a place that God never desires for us to be. Last night we spoke of the great hope that we have in heaven that can be a motivating factor to help us deliver our minds and our thoughts and keep them focused on what truly is important in life. And tonight we're going to talk about another topic that often causes us to struggle. And a lot of times this is a response that we have in relation to the suffering and the struggle that we face in this life. And we're going to talk about substance abuse and addiction. I believe as with every issue or problem in life, the Word of God gives us the tools and gives us the instruction that's necessary to solve any of the issues that we have in this life. And oftentimes, as we consider substance abuse and drug addiction, what we think about is the idea that someone is trying to cope with an immense amount of emotional pain or strain in their life, and what they have done, instead of turning to God, have made a decision to turn to a substance that they can put into their body that numbs the pain or seems to take that pain away, but what we fail to realize is all the devastating consequences and side effects of that decision. And what happens in our brain as we put these chemicals in is it creates a craving. And that craving that God designed for us to have for Him, as we talked about on Sunday morning, and our desire to know more about Him and to increase our knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, is replaced with a desire to have this substance. And we get to a point to where we don't believe we can live or survive without this substance that seems to numb or take away the pain of what we are experiencing in life. I know there are a lot of ideas as we talk about substance abuse and addiction, as we talk about what it is that helps people who find themselves in these situations. Tonight, I want you to understand I do not believe addiction is a disease or an illness. It is a self-inflicted response that's improper. But what happens is it does alter the way that the brain works over time to where that mind and that brain no, matter, no longer works the way that God intended it, and people are deceived, and they buy into that deception that Satan has laid before us. Tonight, as we think about these things and we talk about this topic, I want us to start in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And everything that we talk about tonight, I want you to understand, needs to fall under the umbrella of this passage that I believe is so powerful 
that it helps us understand the importance of the church. It helps us remember the importance of our reliance upon God. And it helps us to maintain the proper perspective of who we are in this life. John, inspired of the Holy Spirit, in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, writes, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This, then, is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a sin you can commit that Jesus Christ is unwilling to forgive. And as we think about life and the way we're going to cope with the issues and problems of life, we have to understand we're not perfect. There's not a single one of us that would stand here tonight and say, I am perfect and I've never made a mistake. Because the Bible says if you're willing to say that, guess what? We could all look at you and say, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. And I don't stand here tonight and say that I'm perfect in regards even to this topic tonight. Because there have been times in my life that I turned to certain substances to escape the pain and the reality of what I was having to deal with. And it was an improper response. But I want you to know God can deliver you. And it doesn't matter how strong the hold that that substance has on your mind tonight. Through your confession and your repentance and your seeking of God, He can forgive and He can restore and He can teach you and train you to have a different response when dealing with life. Notice how many times the Apostle John, inspired of the Holy Spirit, uses these pronouns us and our and we. You see, John puts himself in this category. He didn't say all of you have had sin. He says we have all sinned. He said if we say we have no sin, then we're alive. John recognized even as a holy apostle that guess what? He sinned. And he needed the continual cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's foolish of us not to recognize our great need for that blood to continually cleanse and wash us from our sins. You see, salvation is not a one-time occurrence, but it's a continual process throughout our entire life as Jesus brings us through sanctification unto justification. You see, that process of sanctification is a life long process for the Christian. And I'm just as in need of that blood tonight as I was as I stood as an individual who had never been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that you recognize your need for that blood tonight as we discuss this topic. Are drugs mentioned in the Bible? Now I've had young people talk to me and tell me, you know, drugs are never mentioned in the Bible. Methamphetamines are never mentioned in the Bible. Marijuana is never mentioned in the Bible. You know what is mentioned in the Bible? 
Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we read that passage, and many individuals say, Drugs aren't mentioned. But there's a word in there that's called witchcraft. When I first started studying the Bible, I saw that word and I said, witchcraft? We're talking about spells and potions. And I envision when I hear witchcraft, and my mind still does this, I picture Macbeth. I don't know how many of you have ever read Macbeth. We read it in 10th grade. And I picture those witches who were there creating what? These incantations in these cauldrons to try to bewitch and control people and casting spells and those kind of things. And that's what would pop into my mind. But when we do a research and we start studying, we look at this word witchcraft, the Greek word is pharmakeia. Does that sound familiar? You see, it's where we get our English word pharmacy. And what do we get at the pharmacy? We get prescription drugs, don't we? You see, that word is defined as medication and then by extension magic, sorcery, or witchcraft. Most of your modern translations are going to render that word witchcraft sorceries. Think back to Acts chapter 8. There was a man named Simon the sorcerer. And what had he done? He had bewitched the people, giving off that he was some great man, right? And as he saw the powers that the apostles had and the giving of the Holy Spirit and the healing power that they had, he said, I want that because if he could have that, he could continue to bewitch the people. But his power couldn't compare to the power of the Holy Ghost who had descended upon those apostles. Because what had Simon been doing? He had been bewitching them with sorceries. You see, drugs are not a new problem. These substances that we have in our nation today that are ravaging the lives of individuals and destroying homes and families and lives of young people left and right are not new. You see, what Simon was doing was he was using herbs and certain other potions that he could mix with alcohol and other substances to make a very potent mixture that when ingested by individuals would cause them to hallucinate and have experiences that seemed otherworldly. And in that state, he would profess to them of his greatness and convince them of the power that he had, and he had a lot of control over the people, and people would come to him to have that type of experience. You know what people are seeking today when they use these substances? They're seeking an otherworldly experience. They're wanting a high. They're wanting something that will take them out of the pain that they're enduring in this life or just some route to escape the reality of what's around them. Drugs are mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> and we ought to be wise concerning these things, especially their great impact upon our culture. But tonight, I'm not just speaking about marijuana. I'm not just speaking about meth. I'm not just speaking about any of the cocaine or heroin or all the other names that are out there on the streets with these substances that our young people know about. One of the greatest problems we have are the abuse of prescription medications. 
Because what happens in our mind is we may have some justifiable reason for having a pain medication prescribed to us and we have to be wise concerning those things because they can be highly addictive. Because the way that these substances work is they attach to certain types of neurons or cells and receptors of those cells and they numb the pain. That's what they're designed to do. And when you're recovering from a surgery or a procedure or some type of trauma that you've inflicted upon your body that you've suffered from, guess what? Those pain medications can be a good thing, but what often happens is we get over that initial trauma and the severe pain and we find ourselves with a little bit of pain and instead of finding another way to cope with that, guess what we do? We go back to these prescription medications and we feel safe using them because a doctor has prescribed them to us. And sometimes we don't use all of the prescription and we keep it and we save it and then we might have a moment where we're struggling emotionally with some type of deep emotional pain and guess what we might try to do? We might try to use these drugs to escape that emotional pain and it feels good for a time. And then we do it again. And again, and before we know it, it's controlling every decision that we make. I know individuals who have talked to me about, they would talk to someone that they knew who recently had surgery who had been prescribed pain medications and they would just talk to them to see if they had any in their home and then they would create a reason for them to go to their home and as they were in their home, they would seek opportunity to go where they kept their medicine and they would steal those pills because they felt like they had to have that drug to live and to survive understand that these medications can be just as dangerous as any street drug and they can alter your mind and they can affect you for the rest of your life and they can do damage that can't be undone if we're not careful opioid medications these chemicals bind to molecules on cells that are known as opioid receptors on certain neurons and other cells throughout the central nervous system and throughout the body. The same receptors that respond to heroin. These receptors are found on nerve cells in many areas of the brain and body, especially in brain areas involved in the perception of pain and pleasure. This type of drug includes Vicodin, Oxycontin, and Duragesic. Stimulants are prescription drugs that are intended for treatment of attention, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Those drugs fall into this category. They include amphetamines known as Adderall, Ritalin, Concerta. These medications have an effect similar to that of cocaine causing a buildup of a brain chemical known as dopamine and norepinephrine that we're going to talk a little bit more about here in just a moment. There are drugs that are known as depressants. And this category of prescribed medications makes a person feel calm and relaxed in the same way that some club drugs, GHB and Rohypnol, do. It's a central nervous system depressant. And it's intended for relieving anxiety symptoms, and that includes diazepam, Valium, and ultimately Xanax. Most of your sleep aids and those type of medications that some individuals take to be able to sleep at night fall in to these central nervous system depressants. And you say, well, I've never heard of some of these, but if I read through these names of these drugs, I bet you've heard of them. You may have been prescribed them at some point in your life. 
Vicodin, Dilaudid, Demerol, Ritalin, Concerta, Adderall, Valium, Xanax, Ambien, Zoloft. These medications are very prominent in our culture. And some of the danger in that is because we have created a generation that thinks a pill will fix our problems. My generation was one of the first where Ritalin was widely used in children. Because what at one time was considered a lack of discipline or a child just being a little more active than other children and having a lot of energy that needed to be exercised and used up, all of a sudden became labeled. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe there might be some cases where a prescription medication is needed to combat some of these issues, but I think if we're all honest, we could say that these things are highly overly prescribed in our culture. Because that's our first answer. And kids that grew up in my generation, we saw children put on these medications very early in life, and guess what that trained us to believe? That if I have some problem that I can't really deal with and I can't find a solution to, guess what I do? I go to a doctor and I get a pill and then that pill makes me feel better and everything goes away. But when the effects of that pill wear off, guess what I still have? I still have the issue and the problem that I never really confronted and dealt with. And now our generation is raising children and that's just becoming a bigger and bigger issue. It amazes me as my wife teaches in a public school how many children in her class are on prescription meds every single day. We have young children that come to our home and stay with us during a meeting like this and their parents send them with medication and the child's telling me, hey, I need my medicine. I'm like, you're fine. You don't need your medicine. You're okay. No, I need it. Because they've convinced themselves psychologically that they have to have this and they're eight and nine years old. Once again, don't misunderstand me. I think there are cases where these medications and drugs are needed but not in the vast majority of the situations in which they're prescribed. But we've created a drug culture. See, what happens is these substances that we ingest ultimately travel up the brainstem and signal a system known as the limbic system in our brain. And I'm not a neurologist, never proclaimed to be one, but I know a little bit about brain science. And I want to share a little bit of that with you tonight. You see, you've heard of the brain, and you've probably heard that there are two hemispheres, a left and a right. But really, we need to think of the brain that was designed by God as two distinct brains. You have an inner brain known as the limbic brain. And then outside of that, you have a larger, what's known as a prefrontal cortex. Now, in that limbic system, that inner brain, that's what we have in common with pretty much all other animals and those kind of things. And that limbic brain is responsible to find what brings me pleasure and seek after it and figure out what's protecting me and make sure that I'm safe. That fight or flight response that we often talk about, guess where that takes place? That doesn't take place in the outer regions of the brain where logic and reason are. That takes place at the lower level of the inner brain. That if something's dangerous, I want to what? I fight or I run. And that's just a natural response. All of the other systems of our body are ruled by that limbic brain. Do you have to think 
and tell yourself to breathe? Or is there a part of your brain that's responsible for that that makes sure that that function takes place? Your brain does that without you thinking. What about your eyes blinking? Do you have to sit there and say, every 10, 20 seconds I better blink or my eyes are going to dry out? No. Your brain regulates that. It knows what the eyes need and it provides that response. Well, what happens with these substances as they enter the limbic system or that inner brain, it hits these receptors and guess what it releases? It causes these cells to release a chemical known as dopamine. Dopamine feels good. So if you have a substance that you put into your body that activates these receptors and releases this dopamine that feels good, guess what's going to happen when that feeling wears off? Whatever I did to get that feeling, I want to do it again. So we do more. And over and over, and we create these cravings known as addictions. I don't believe you wake up one morning and you're an addict. I believe that's a process and the result of things and decisions that you've made over a period of time into which you've altered the way that your brain works. It's a, not a disease like other diseases, but it's the result of improper coping mechanisms in life. I don't deny the power of addiction. I don't deny the end result and the way that it alters the brain, but we have to take responsibility for these things that we cause in our own life. See, the Bible instructs us to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We need our mind working at full capacity to fight the battles against our enemy. And these substances alter the way that that brain and that mind work. Do you understand that these substances will turn you into a person that you never thought you would become? They'll make you think things that you never would have thought. They'll make you do things that you never thought you would do and one day you'll wake up and you won't even recognize the person staring back at you in that mirror. And we've seen that even in the church. And if this is something that you're struggling with tonight, you need to make a change tonight. And you need to be sober-minded and protect the mind and the brain that God has given to you to keep it pure and functioning so that you can be sober and fight against this adversary. Now, are there predispositions to certain behaviors? You know, there was a time in my life I said, you know what, I'm not going to be like my dad. <laughs> but as I grow up, guess what? I notice things about my personality, I notice things about myself that guess what? I'm like my dad, and I'm thankful. He's a good man. But at 15 years old, who wants to be like their dad? Not most 15-year-old boys. You see, there are things and behaviors and personality traits and things that do somewhat get passed down. And I want you to understand, if you have a long history in your family of drug abuse or alcoholism or any of these type of abuse problems, 
Could you be more susceptible to those behaviors? Yes. Could that possibly be because of the result of your exposure to those things that were used improperly to cope with the issues of life? Certainly. But just because your dad or your grandfather or your mother or your grandmother was addicted to these substances, does that mean you're going to be addicted to them? In no way does it make you addicted to them. Because how many people do we know who grew up in homes where alcoholism was a very big issue and problem and they grew up and they stayed away from it? How could they have stayed away from it if it was something that they had inherited from the previous generation? And it was purely genetic. Those predispositions might be there, but at the end of the day, we make a choice. One of the flaws in recovery programs that I've had some experience with is this statement. Once an addict, always an addict. They don't deny the fact that a person can get better and can stop using that substance, but they still define that individual as an addict. And they say they've cleaned their life up, but that person needs to continue to remember that they still have an addiction and they're defined by that. And I believe the Bible teaches something far different from that. I think the Bible teaches us that we can be something different. I believe if we've been converted to Christ, we're no longer an addict. Because God has given us something else that defines us. And in that definition, there is hope for recovery, there is hope for restoration, and there is hope for salvation. In John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. As we think about what God defines us as, He says we can become the sons and daughters of God. Because if we buy into this lie that once an addict, always an addict, then we never truly change. We just stop doing a certain thing. But what defines us is still there. There are some 12-step programs for alcoholics and those who have used narcotic drugs. And they go through these programs and they may go 30 days and be sober and not used for 30 days and they may receive a chip. And I'll tell you, those chips are good reminders. And those are somewhat of a reward for them to stay motivated to keep being sober. And they may go 60 days and 90 days and get another chip. But you know what happens if on day 91 they fall to temptation and they use that substance again? You know what those programs say? What do those programs say? You go back to day one and you start all over. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says I repent, I confess, and I pick myself up and I go on to day 91. And I go on to day 92. And I don't have to start all over and think, man, I can't do this. Because that's discouraging, isn't it? To get partway down the road and then say, nope, you've got to go all the way back and start over. There's no hope in that. But Jesus says He'll define you and give you a new name. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, And He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. A child of God who is going through recovery to overcome these types of addictions, guess what? They don't start over, they keep walking with Jesus. And his blood continually cleanses them. And it can be a minor setback and a minor relapse in that recovery when viewed that way. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. As we already started this sermon with, talking about 1 John chapter 1, being a servant of righteousness does not mean perfection. But what it means is that I walk in the light and I strive to serve God with all of my heart and the best that I can. And when I stumble and fall, I repent, I confess, and the blood of Christ continually cleanses and washes me of that sin. And I keep walking with Jesus. And that's the key when we talk about this type of recovery is keep walking. Don't stop, don't give up, but keep pushing forward. Understanding how far Jesus has led you. You see, this lifestyle is going to be new. You take someone who has abused substances for a long time, they have a certain lifestyle that they're used to. They have certain behaviors and certain responses that have become ingrained, and they do these things automatically without even thinking. So when you take that away, you've got to replace it with a new way of thinking and a new way to make decisions and a new lifestyle, and it's going to be new for them. And you can't change everything in one day. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, the Bible says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, there has to be a putting off and a putting on process that takes place. We put off the old man who was the addict, who was the one that was addicted to these substances, and we put on the new man in Jesus Christ. And we learn more coping strategies such as prayer and study and meditation and fellowship and all the wonderful things that we have in the church and a hope of eternal life with God that will motivate us to stay away from that old man. But old habits die hard, don't they? Because they were habits for a reason. Because time after time, we did the same thing. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Many of you have children. You know Malachi? He's waking up. You know Malachi, when he was an infant, I was told that was Malachi. When Malachi was an infant... We brought him home from the hospital. You know when he was hungry, guess what he did? He screamed and cried. Until when? Until I or his mother went and picked him up and I gave him to her and she fed him and he calmed down. But you know, a few hours later, <laughs> at 3.30 in the morning, guess what would happen? He would scream out again and we'd say, oh my goodness, 
And I'd go and I'd get him and I'd bring him to mom and say, okay. And I'd lay back and go back to sleep. And she'd tap me about 30 minutes. I'm done. Take him back. Okay. Two or three hours later, guess what? He'd scream again. (laughs) You know what I didn't go and do to him in his bedroom? I did not go to him and say, stop crying. Just tell me what you want. You know why? Because he's an infant. He's a baby. Babies scream and cry when they need something because they don't know how to communicate effectively yet. But how foolish would Elizabeth and I be as parents if every night, now that Malachi is six, he screamed and cried and we went down and picked him up and carried him to the bedroom by Elizabeth and we got him a bowl of cereal and we fed him cereal and every two hours he screamed and cried. Y'all would think you're foolish. And it would be foolish, wouldn't it? Because Malachi has learned if he's hungry, he can go push a stool up to the refrigerator and get whatever he wants. He can feed himself. And if he started crying, guess what I'd say? Go eat. Get what you want. Because he's equipped to do that. And individuals who are facing recovery from addiction, guess what? They're starting over. The natural response to them is to run to the substance and they're trying to fight that and learn a different way to cope with life. And it's easy for us to say, just pray. Just read your Bible. Come on, what's your deal? That's no different than you looking at that infant saying, what's the deal? Quit crying. Feed yourself. It ain't gonna happen. They need to be retrained. Their brain needs to be rewired. And the marvelous thing about the brain, when no permanent damage has taken place, the brain can be rewired. It's a marvelous creation of God. They can learn new strategies of how to cope with life and make better choices and better decisions, but it takes time. And that means as God's people, we need to be patient and loving and supportive of that. Not enabling the behavior but certainly encouraging a new life. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. What makes the biggest difference in people's lives is they give themselves wholly to the word of God. And when someone truly makes up their mind that they want to serve God more than they want to put that substance into their body, guess what happens? A great change can take place. Give yourself wholly to that. Make a commitment that I no longer need that substance to live or function. And in fact, it's bringing a lot of damage into my life and my relationship with God. Because what's going to be new? There's going to be new thoughts. There's going to be new lifestyle. There's going to be new family and support, a new environment, new goals, new experiences. And this whole existence to them, especially if they come to us from the world, is brand new to them. And we can't expect them to get up and run when they've never been taught how to walk. But here's what I've seen. I'm not speaking about this congregation, but here's what I've seen. We have an individual who has a severe addiction, an issue with a substance. They come to us. We study, we work. Maybe they even obey the gospel. 
But in a weak moment, they go back to that substance. And I've heard Christian people say, they don't want it bad enough, I'm done. Is that how Jesus treated you when you became a child of God? Did he wait for you to slip up one time so then he could say, I'm done? I believe we all know the answer to that. Have you been perfect since the day you obeyed the gospel? Once again, perfection isn't the end goal. Because perfection is an unrealistic standard. You know what the goal is? Progress. That we keep walking in the right direction. And if they stumble and fall, hey, go encourage them and get them back and keep walking with them. Don't give up on them. They're struggling in a weak moment and they went back to something that had been a very large part of their life and their existence for a long time. I'm not excusing the sin because that behavior would be sinful, but if we sit in judgment against that individual because they stumble and fall into sin, then brethren, we might, we might as well give up right now. Because people should have given up on us a long time ago. And if that's our mindset, we need to make some changes. You know, in my experience in working with some of these issues, I would sit in what were called recovery teams. And this was to deal with mental illness and substance abuse and sometimes co-occurring disorders where you had both that were present in the same individual. And we would sit together and I would sit there with a psychiatrist and a psychologist and other counselors and we would devise a plan that was a holistic approach to helping this person deal with this problem. And there were four areas that we identified that we had to focus on. The first one was their physical health. Addressing the needs of the physical and psychological addiction. Then we had to address the area of the home and to try to provide a safe environment and a change of environment because if the individual has a habit and this habit is unhealthy and it's drugs or alcohol and you go back to the same environment where they practice those things, more than likely they're going to continue to do those things. So sometimes we would have to change, radically change their environment and their home. We would try to address the idea of purpose and meaning in life to help them rediscover their meaning and their purpose. And then we would try to find a supportive group where the person could belong. And I want to cover those four areas with you quickly this evening. First of all, this diagram illustrates how addictions begin. There is an emotional trigger. And whatever that trigger is, it could be anything. It could be frustration at work. It could be struggling in a relationship. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be just depression about who I am and not feeling comfortable and confident in who I am with God. It may be that I don't feel anyone likes me and I struggle to make friends and build relations. Whatever it is, there's some type of emotional trigger that happens that we have to cope with. Life's full of these. And what happens is, guess what? There's a craving... And we perform some type of ritual to satiate that craving and to dispel that emotional trigger to where we feel better. And we use, but then that using usually causes us guilt 
And then guess what? It creates another emotional trigger, which we have a craving, we perform our ritual, we use, we feel guilt, and we go round and round and round. You know where we have to solve this problem? At the craving stage. Because the emotional triggers aren't going to go away. (laughs) We can't just say, I'm never going to feel bad, I'm just going to go through life, I'm going to feel good all the time, because that's not realistic. We're going to have problems and issues. The key is when I feel that, guess what? I choose a better habit that doesn't bring destructive consequences into my life. And we address the physical health of this individual. You see, this person must get to a place in which they accept responsibility and desire accountability. I cannot blame my DNA. I cannot blame the world. I cannot blame stress in life. I cannot blame my parents or my family members. I cannot blame my circumstances. And I certainly cannot blame God. Because as long as we use those things to justify these behaviors, we will never overcome them. And we'll stay trapped in those addictive behaviors. You see, James chapter 1 helps us understand where the problem of sin lies. He said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You see, as we have that emotional trigger, we're left with a choice. I can choose to have a substance that I put in my body to numb that pain and take it away and help me escape that problem, or I choose something that God has given to me as an alternative method of coping and dealing with that problem. And when that emotional trigger hits, one of the best things that we can do is reach out to our brother or sister in Christ. And I guarantee you, if you have a problem tonight and you talk to the brethren here and you tell them, hey, when I'm struggling, I want to call you, I don't care if it's 2 in the morning, if you call them, and I know this is true because I've seen it happen, and you tell them, hey, I'm having a weak moment, I'm about to go and I'm about to do something, I'm about to use this substance, guess what? They will get up out of their bed and they will come and they will help you right then. I will do that. Because that shows that you're actually trying to make a different choice. And you're fighting that addiction and you're fighting the draw and the craving that has been created in your mind. So that you're not drawn away and you don't let that lust conceive and bring forth sin and ultimately death. You see, with withdrawal of these substances, there are concerns about physical health issues. Some drugs have a serious physical withdrawal that the body has to go through as it rids itself of these chemicals and it starts to rewire how the brain is going to work back in a normal pattern of thinking. But most addiction is psychological. And that psychological withdrawal can be very difficult. But for instance, a person who's addicted to depressants, some of the physical withdrawal symptoms they may suffer could ultimately be a heart attack, stroke, delirium tremens known as DTs, grand mal seizures, hallucinations, or even death. 
There's a way that I believe we've all probably experienced some type of chemical withdrawal in our life. In no way am I equating this experience with that of someone who's been addicted to very serious substances that have altered the way their brain works, but how many of us have dealt with somewhat of a caffeine addiction? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. Because I want to tell you, Every day about 2 o'clock, if I haven't had my Diet Coke or my Coke, guess what happens to me about 2 o'clock every day? I get a headache. I bet Mr. Timothy, if he doesn't have his Dr. Pepper at some point during the day, about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, he might get a headache. I know I've been there. And there have been times where I said, you know what, I need to go through this withdrawal to prove that I can overcome that. And I'm not truly addicted. I can do without it if I really have to. But I want to tell you, for two or three days, I may battle serious headaches because my brain is what? It's ridding itself and getting rid of that seemingly addiction that I, that seeming addiction that I have to caffeine because I've trained my brain to work with that substance in there. And now without it, it's reacting. We've all experienced something similar to that. So understand, with some of these substances that can be very damaging to the body and to the brain, there are going to be physical concerns that need to be managed, sometimes by a healthcare professional that's monitoring this withdrawal process. But it's a process that's necessary because it shows us that we can control this body and be strong enough in our spirit to overcome these physical issues. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25 says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, I bring my body into subjection. I control the cravings that I have. I want to tell you, that includes these types of substances and alcohol. That you have to take control of those cravings and allow your mind to begin to work differently. Secondly, we change the home. We change the physical environment and we change the people, the places, the activities that these individuals participate in. Because if you don't change the environment, many of the reasons they're in the position they're in is because of the environment that they've lived in. We utilize group homes or halfway houses or residential rehab facilities and in some cases prison. It, prison is an extreme change in environment. And in these extreme changes in environment, people have the opportunity to change the people, places, and activities that they participate and surround themselves with. But I want to tell you the greatest place you can be is among God's people when you're struggling with these type of issues. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common. The church ought to be the greatest support group on this earth. And we ought to enjoy the type of fellowship that wants to hold one another accountable, and provide support and encouragement for people who are hurting and looking for answers to the problems of this life. Then we change the purpose and we talk to them about what is the purpose of your existence. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And as an individual goes from being an addict, as they labeled themselves, to becoming a child of God, they inherit a new purpose and a new meaning in life. That they're not just trying to survive, but they are actually trying to praise and glorify God. That is our purpose. And when someone accepts that purpose and that meaning into their life, it can change their outlook on everything. And they realize all that they need is God in their life to see them through these difficult times and they can leave behind all the things that they thought were bringing them a solution and healing. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants you to be conformed to the image of of Jesus. What greater purpose could we have in this life? Romans chapter 12 speaks of us being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we go from that place of an addiction to being a child and a servant of God, we have a great purpose. And that purpose is to prove the working and the power of God. The greatest example of that, a lot of times, is someone who has truly overcome these type of issues and problems and is now a strong servant in the kingdom of our Lord. Finally, we seek to find a community that's supportive and loving. A person may attend counseling groups. They may attend a 12-step program. Nothing wrong with those things, but I want you to be careful. Because I think there are better alternatives in many cases to these type of worldly answers. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You know that's our job in the church. My responsibility is to look at my brethren and motivate you to love and good works. Guess what your job is? It's to motivate me to love and good works. And you look at your brethren in whatever circumstance or situation they find themselves in, your goal ought to be to provoke them to love and good works. And this individual who's struggling with addiction comes in among us. Guess what we need to do? We need to provoke them to love and good works. And we do that by worshiping God and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But encouraging one another and so much the more as we see that day approaching. That's the type of support group I want to be a part of. That's the type of encouragement I want to receive when I'm struggling with a serious issue in life because it's going to happen. And instead of turning to the world for all these answers, let's turn to God's people. And we as God's people need to be wise and have tools available and avenues in which we can get people the help that they need. And sometimes that means we need to be involved in other ministries and opportunities where people's lives can be changed. And for too long we've been scared to do that. I know we have brethren in Amarillo who are very familiar with a certain program. 
And they've worked very diligently to develop relationships with that program in an effort that if we know someone that's a brother or sister in Christ that has a problem, this program is tried and true, and we've seen the fruits of that program. And they can go in that program and maintain a relationship with the Lord's church and get that spiritual encouragement and spiritual training, but also deal with the problems that they're facing and deal with them effectively. And we can't be afraid of that. But we need to use every tool that's at our disposal to help these people with these type of problems. And all the while doing it with a supporting and loving atmosphere of a congregation that's ready and willing to receive them and count them as brethren. In closing this evening, I want to share with you what I believe to be God's plan for purifying and overcoming addiction. It's multifaceted. But it starts with this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, there's spiritual growth that has to take place within every life of a Christian, but especially someone who's overcoming these lifestyle choices and addictions. And that's where it begins. In our mind, we say, I'm going to add to my faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, and I'm going to grow and I'm going to get stronger and stronger. I'm going to feed my spiritual man and I'm going to overcome this physical issue that I've created by the power of the Spirit of God. In addition to that, I have to purify my mind. I have to change the things I think about. I have to change the focus of where my attention and my heart is. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. In addition to purifying my mind, I have to purify my home. I have to get the things that are drawing me away from God out of my sight and out of my reach. And I have to do that sometimes radically if necessary. Because as long as it's around, it's going to be a craving and a draw, and we're going to be more susceptible to falling into that temptation again. Psalm 101 and verse 2 and verse 3 says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I had a gentleman two years ago who called me and said, Chase, I need to talk. I said, yes, sir, and we met, and we had a long discussion that night, and he confessed to me his continued problem with alcohol. And we prayed, and he repented, and I believe at that moment he was forgiven, and he was restored. But you know what he went home to? He went home to a house that was filled with alcohol. And he called me not a couple hours later and said, Chase, can you come to my house? And I said, yes. I said, what's going on? He said, I need your help with something. And I got over there and I said, what's going on? He said, I got to get it out of here. 
I said, what do you got to get out of here? And he opened his refrigerator full of beer. He opened his cabinet full of all types of liquor and other types of alcohol. He said, I got to do something with this. I said, there's only one thing to do. And we poured it all out. Down the drains in his house. He had a 15-year-old son that helped us do that. And that 15-year-old son opened beer can after beer can and poured it down the drain with tears in his eyes. And that 15-year-old told me, he said, Dad's serious this time. He had to get it out of his house. Because he knew as long as he left it in there, it was going to be an influence. It was going to be something that would draw him and seek to pull him away. And his family had seen that time and time and time again. You know how long that man's been sober now? Two years. And he'll tell you today, it's not near the draw that it was that night. And he said the difference was that time he got it out of his house and out of his home. And his children saw him take that drastic step. And they knew the change was real. Purify your home. We have to have support and accountability. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 14 and verse 12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We have built-in accountability. I hear these things, but I need an accountability partner. Guess what? You've got one. His name's God. And guess what? You have hundreds of others. We're called brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I feel I'm accountable to every single one of you to be an example and you ought to feel accountable to every brother and sister in this congregation to be an example. Now, if you need to have a close circle of people who you want to really confess things to, that's wonderful. But don't forget the built-in accountability that God created for us in His church. And appreciate that accountability with your brethren. And finally, you need Christian fellowship. We talked about Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and verse 25. Let us consider one another and provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Every time the church doors are open, you need to be here. Not just so you can get something, but that you can provide something for someone else who may be hurting. And you never know if you might have the right words... You might smile at the person at the right time. You may shake their hand or have some kind words to say that ultimately lead to them making a better choice and a better decision later on that day. And if you're not here, you can't do that. I believe if we look at this picture, I think we see God's plan for purification and overcoming addictions. And if we do all of these things, we set ourselves up for great success in overcoming these challenges of life. But ultimately, something is going to dominate your mind. Somebody asked me, well, what is addiction? That's what it is. 
It's something that dominates your thinking and mind and alters your behavior. We need to be addicted to God. We need to seek Him like we seek air, food, and water. And we need to find fulfillment in Him and let Him dominate our mind and change our behavior. You see, that's what those substances do. And what we've done is we have implemented substances into the place where God says He needs to be. For if God is in our heart and God is in our mind and we're focused on Him, guess what? We're going to make better choices, aren't we? We're going to face those difficulties with addiction and all the substances that are out there that Satan wants to use to draw us away from God. But instead, our focus and our heart will be ruled by the peace of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That's what ought to dominate our hearts and our minds as we strive to serve God. Is the peace of God. And when we have these substances in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, we cannot have peace with our Creator. Tonight, I appreciate your attention. And I know it's been a lengthy sermon, but I hope you understand the importance of discussing these things. I hope this evening, if you're battling some type of addiction, and your addiction may be well hidden... I know a lot of people who have had serious addictions that, guess what, they came to church three times a week and they sat on pews just like we are tonight. They came to gospel meetings. They had the image and they portrayed a life that they were a good Christian and a good husband and a good father and a good wife and a good mother. All the while, they had a substance that was destroying them from the inside out. That may be you tonight. If that's you, I hope you know there's no better place for you to be tonight than right here. Because you're among people who know that we're not perfect. You're among people here that just want to help other people. And if you would come confessing that tonight, you would feel the love of God through these individuals who are gathered in this place who are here for the intent purpose to see lives change, not by our power and our words, but by the power of Jesus Christ. And anybody that overcomes addiction ought to give glory to God for the peace that they now have in their life. And we want you to share in that peace with us tonight. If your life is dominated by something that's drawing you away from God, then return to God tonight and seek Him and seek the peace of God that only He can give. We're going to stand and sing an invitation song, and if during that song you feel compelled to seek help, I pray that you let God help you tonight by letting His people work and help you. If you need to be baptized or you need prayers, all you have to do is come and have a seat on the front as together we stand and sing.